You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. We're back to wrap up the conference previews here on the College Football Survivor Show. It's me, Doug. It's Shahan. And it's our special guest, Josh Newman, Utah beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Josh, thanks for joining us here again on the College Football Survivor Show. You were on at the end of spring practice to talk about the Utes. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, yeah, crazy Exciting times, I guess, for you know this Utah football program. A, a lot, a lot went on last season. Uh, ended with a bang, obviously, with the Pac-12 championship. Went to a Rose Bowl, and uh, expectations are are high given what they have coming back now. So we're going to run through all the things that we've been running through on these conference previews. We talk about which team is the best playoff candidate, who's a playoff dark horse, best Heisman ca- candidate, Heisman dark horse, game of the year, which team could be a spoiler which team isn't in the playoff mix now but might be in five years, and then we'll make our playoff picks at the end. But you guys, if you guys are open to it, I would like to play a little game to start this podcast because as I was breaking stuff down and going through this, I was getting a little, I don't want to say angry. I can't be angry <laughs> at a conference. I don't think that makes sense. I mean, I get angry at inanimate objects all the time. I get angry at animals. I get angry at sounds. I get angry at smells. But it doesn't make sense for me to be angry at a conference. So let's just say I was perplexed. And here's the game we're going to play. It's called, is this team supposed to be good at football? (laughs) Because in the Pac-12... I don't know who that is. So you, I, I'm not going to – I'm the host. Welcome back to – is that team supposed to be good at football? Shahan and Josh, thanks for playing today. Can't wait. Can't wait. I, I do think it will be interesting to see how we each define good at football, right? Yeah. I feel like that's going to be part of it. But but I guess it's part of the game, right? So let's get into it. Let's do it. So like if we were doing the Big Ten, like is Purdue supposed to be good at football? It's like it's a basketball school. It's an engineering school that has a train. No. So, okay. Oregon. Is Oregon supposed to be good at football? Josh, you first. Yes, Oregon is supposed to be good at football, but that is a phenomenon that is still a little on the new side. That only started 10 or 15 years ago. They're not Michigan. They're not Ohio State. They're not a true blue blood. But now in 2022, Oregon is supposed to be good at football. Yes. Shahan. Yeah, easiest answer on the board. Uh, there's there's a little guy named Phil Knight, and there's a little town called Beaverton <laughs> outside of Oregon. And uh, guess what? That's changed a lot of things about what the University of Oregon is from a football perspective. So, yes, easiest answer on the board. They're supposed to be good at football. Okay. USC. Shahan, should USC be good at football? Uh, let me think about it. I, I assumed you weren't going to ask that one when I said that Oregon was the easiest answer on the board, but I guess we've got a new easiest answer on the board. Yes, USC, the historic blue blood based in Los Angeles, is supposed to be good at football. Josh? 
I have nothing to add. That is the easiest answer on the board, uh, just given the resources and the history and, you know, the guys that have come through there and, uh, you know, the recruiting base, obviously, in Southern California. USC is absolutely supposed to be good at football. Yes, Doug. If Clay Helton was on this show, Clay Helton might say no. Clay Helton might be like, well, let me tell you, it's not as easy as it looks. It's not as easy as you think. I think that what he would say is we've got to change what our idea of good is, right? Like, cause I think that, I think that a lot of uh, the answers to this game are going to be, we should be good for this, right? Like, uh, you know, we'll get to other schools, of course. But like, I think that Clay Helton would be like, if we win nine or 10 games, that's pretty dang good, isn't it? I bet that I bet that Oregon State would be thrilled about that. And it's like, well, you're (laughs) USC. You're supposed to win a national championship. That's different. Right. That was a mean shot at Clay Helton. There's no reason for me to do that, except he was a terrible coach at (laughs) USC. Georgia Southern legend to be, of course, uh, Clay Helton. Everyone says they say he's so nice. Clay Helton won a Rose Bowl. I'm just putting that, that out there. That he did. Uh, Sam Darnold, great college quarterback for whatever has happened since then. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is a plus for Clay Hilton. That it's like, oh, my God. He won a Rose Bowl <laughs> with that guy? Okay. Uh, let's do Washington. Josh, is Washington supposed to be good at football? Probably not. But they, uh, they operate under um, – they have a high major level of thinking um, with their donor base – uh, with their facilities. I don't, you know, when you look at stadiums and facilities across the Pac-12, Husky Stadium is a legit game day atmosphere that really intimidates teams in years where Washington is good. Um, they've dumped a lot of money into athletics. That is an administration that supports athletics. Um, you know, the Adidas money has helped. That is a big time college football program at a university uh, in a part of the country in the Pacific Northwest that you really wouldn't think should be playing big time football. They, so to answer your question, no, they should not be good at football, but they have been mostly pretty to very good at football for what seems like 30 to 35 years, if not longer at this point. Shahan, what do you say? Maybe it's because I just uh, made a trip to Seattle this weekend and I'm in the mood. Uh, (laughs) But I, I think that they should. I think that, when you look at Washington, they remind me the most out of almost any team in the Pac-12 of like what a mid to high tier Big Ten SEC team is like, right? I think that they have great location. I think that they've got a really engaged fan base that I think a lot of people outside of the West Coast don't know about. They've got resources there. They can get Jeffrey Bezos to go cut them some checks. Uh, I, I think, though, that seriously, I mean, the one thing that they don't have, and this is going to be obvious for most of the Pac-12 outside of uh, USC and, and Los Angeles, I think that they don't have recruiting terrain. That's obvious. But... They clearly have it, right? They go into California. They do a great job uh, in the, you know, Oceania and Samoa, all that, right? I mean, they obviously compete with Utah on that front. Um, and, and I think that they've proven that they can go national when they want to. They just have to have somebody who I think is pretty forward thinking. So this is this is not to say that they should be USC. They shouldn't necessarily be a national championship program. But in my estimation, this absolutely should be a program that wins nine to ten games every single year. They had the best receiver in the country two recruiting classes ago, and they had a five-star defensive end in last year's recruiting class, and uh, and they both went to Ohio State. So, like, there are some guys in Seattle, just none of them are playing for Washington right now. So, um, also Don James. I just thought, well, Don James, he was pretty famous. That was my analysis of that. So, 
Washington State, Shahan, should Washington State be good at football? Uh, no, no, we can we can just uh, fast forward. You know, they're not the same program. We can just fast forward through Washington State and Oregon <laughs> State in the same breath. They're in the middle of nowhere. They are the the quote unquote little brothers of their state. They don't have big alumni bases. They don't have access to money like they frankly, neither of them have anything that I feel like they can sell relative to most of the rest of college football. It's very pretty in both of those places. You know, that's not to, to, to demean them from that perspective. I think it's probably a great place to go to school. But when you're trying to generally recruit young black men to come, uh, I don't think that rural Washington or rural Oregon is probably the most exciting place for them to be. I'm, I'm OK lumping together Washington State and Oregon State. So that's two no's from you, Shahan. Josh, what do you think? I agree with what Shahan said. I, I I thought it was well said. A, a, a place specifically like Washington State, you need kind of this quirky character who can sell what there really isn't there. Maybe come with a you know an off brand type of offensive philosophy. A guy like Mike Leach, somebody who's quirky, somebody who can recruit. You run this high octane spread offense. You know, five wide, slinging it all over the place. Um, a place like Oregon State, if we're going to lump them in, Jonathan Jonathan Smith is an alum. He was already invested in Oregon State, invested in Corvallis, invested in the community. Those are probably the two toughest places in the Pac-12 to win at just because you're there, there's so much working against you. Your facilities are, are not top-notch. Your stadiums are not that big. You're, you know, as, as Shahan said, you know, um, Spokane and Pullman might as well be a different world than Seattle. And Corvallis is a different world than Eugene and Portland. It, those are two very, very hard places to win. Neither of those places should be good at football. And historically, they're not good at football. Okay, so we agree. Washington State, Oregon State, no. Oregon, USC, yes. Washington, were split. How about, can we, Shahan, you're a lumper. That's not an insult. You're a lumper. You want to lump together. Should we lump together Arizona and Arizona State? Can we lump that or not? I don't think that we can. Um, but I'll, 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 I'll attack them at the same time, though. I think that they're in contrast to each other. So I think that Arizona State should be good and Arizona probably shouldn't. I think that each of those schools and actually to lump in a third team into this, I think it's a little bit like USC and UCLA with, with uh, LA, right? Because UCLA is the basketball school. It's the school that, that really, you know, is historic, won all those titles under wood and supposed to be good at that. And I think that Arizona and Arizona state is similar where Arizona has kind of chosen its lane and it's going to be the basketball power and Arizona state, hasn't really taken advantage of that on the football side, but I think that's what they're built to do, right? I think that they're built to kind of uh, to, to try to prioritize that, to invest in that in a different way. Maybe I'm naive to think that that can happen, you know, just with the way that the state is invested in. But, uh, you know, we've talked a lot before about how Arizona, I think, is one of the fastest growing states from a football population perspective with the exodus from California, with people moving from Texas, from, from, from everywhere on the on the West Coast and Central America, not Central America, Middle America. But uh, <laughs> they are recruiting the heck out of Costa Rica. <laughs> man, man, you know, it's it's crazy. The, the Nicaraguan re recruits are just about to show up. But, <laughs> but um, you know, so Arizona is growing real quick. I think that their metros actually are going to be very interesting long term and and i think that one of these two schools should take advantage of it and i probably think that school should be arizona states all right josh where how where are you on arizona state and arizona arizona has clearly again 
chosen their lane. It's a basketball school. It's been a basketball school for longer than, you know, the 40 years that I've been alive. Um, you know, the community supports that basketball program, the city of Tucson. They have a national recruiting base. That campus does not care about football. That said, Jed Fish comes in here last year. You know, they had a tough year, but they recruited well this cycle. They've got a little bit of juice. And I'm not going to be surprised if Arizona, you know, takes a step forward this year, takes a step forward in two years. But if you're if if you're looking long term, I I I don't know between Arizona and Arizona State, because I've always felt like Arizona State Athletics, it, I don't want to say sleeping giant, but like they have enough resources. There's enough support at the administrative level, but the people at the top of the athletic department cannot get out of their own way. You know, Ray Anderson was a kind of a curious pick to be the AD. He's a former player agent. He hires Herm Edwards. That left people very puzzled. We see how it's turned out. Should should Arizona State be good at football? Yeah, Arizona State should be good at football, and quite frankly, they should be good at basketball every year too, but I digress. Um, Arizona State should be good at football. Arizona, just historically, given their basketball pedigree, Arizona should not be good at football. No. Okay, Colorado. What do you say, Josh? Should they be good at football? Probably not. Their buff, the, the buffalo is a mascot. That's like a football mascot. Like a <laughs> buffalo would be good at football if they right. had arms. So they should just be running the ball down your throat, right? Because it's a buffalo yeah. going downhill. Um, yeah. You know, uh, look, we all know what Colorado did back, where, you know, late 80s, early 90s. They had it going, but, you know, not a great recruiting base. You know, Boulder's a, a, a tremendous college town, but it, it, it's never struck me as um, – it's never struck me as football craze. I don't know that there's a, a ton of support for Colorado football. Uh, a couple of curious coaching hires lately. Uh, they are not uh, they are not progressing well as we look at them. You know, last year going into 2022. Um, no, I do not think Colorado should be good at football. Shahan, do you agree that the only thing holding back a Buffalo from being great at football is a lack of arms? i mean it doesn't help right like i mean if they're holding it with their with their mouth it seems like it could easily be a peanut tillman out of there i i don't know it's it seems like an issue but i so i i feel like this is one of those where i i look at colorado and i look at boulder and denver and i'm like who wouldn't want to be there and the answer is i'm a you know close to 30-year-old, young, you know, coffee drinking, whatever, you know, like that's not necessarily <laughs> the football demographic, right? And, you know, not not necessarily uh, full of people who want to just go live in the mountains, right? But I think that the bigger thing than that is that there is some positive uh, population change, I think, that is affecting Colorado that, that may help them long-term um, as a state. But the bigger thing is that I don't think it's an institutional priority. I I don't think it has been in 20 years about, right? I mean, they won a title and I believe it was 91 and they haven't really been anywhere near that since then. And they haven't really wanted to try all that hard. I mean, to be frank, like no, no offense to him, Carl Durrell, not the most inspired coaching choice, right? Like I think that they've made some questionable hires. Uh, and, and again, it's, it's one thing to hire somebody who's not great, right? Like it's one thing to try the Herm thing, for example, but it's another thing to kind of feel like you're not even trying. You know, and well, in their defense, they hired Mel Tucker and then Michigan State was like, please take <laughs> yeah. our money. And then he left and they were like, oh, no, he was only here a year. 
Yeah. And, um, and, you know, credit to them, by the way. I mean, it is a very rare thing in this day and age to go back to back black coaches. That's very unusual in this day and age. And actually, the Pac 12 has done a great job from that perspective. But I think that there just isn't that fervor from Colorado boosters. There's kind of not that fervor from Colorado administration. Uh, I think that they're happy being what they are, which is a name that you say and a team that the Pac-12 <laughs> wants to to have around. But And I do think that there is a little more interest on the basketball front. But, you know, frankly, even though they're not a Power 5 team, I think that there's a lot more fervor at Colorado State for football in some ways than there is for Colorado. I think that, you know, and, and some of it's demographics, some of it's the culture of Boulder, some of it's the culture of the university. I, I just don't think that even if they had the resources to compete, which they might, I, I don't know that it's going to be something that they should be expected to do based on the way that they choose to invest. They're happy being a word, some buildings. <laughs> they have some napkins at the stadium. It's very pretty out there and uh, and a little less uh, out there than than Pullman or Corvallis. Yeah. So no, but it's it's I mean, again. It's a very attractive place, but it also probably is an attractive place for that or not an attractive place for the type of people who play football. Right. I mean, I think that's fair to say. All right. Let's lump again. Cal and Stanford. Josh, are Cal and Stanford? You don't have to get the same answer, but are Cal and Stanford supposed to be good at football? Stanford and Cal should not be good at football. Uh, those are two academically minded institutions. Athletics are not a super big priority, specifically Stanford. I mean, somehow Stanford. Um, if they don't sponsor the most division one programs in the country across men and women, it's very close, but still somehow they don't want to spend the money really on athletics with the exception of David Shaw, who was somehow making 8 million plus annually, um, despite them not wanting to spend money on, on athletics. Look, when you're at Stanford and to a slightly lesser extent, Cal, you have to be, you have to be recruiting a certain type of student athlete somebody who can really get into the school and deal with the academic course load. Those kids are going to class, sitting in classrooms. They're not taking a ton of online courses. Um, no, you know, it's, it's just two schools that are not athletically minded. Those presidents, those administrations do not really want to be spending the money on athletics. And I think, you know, at, at least lately, with the exception of, you know, David Shaw really getting Stanford going, getting to a couple of Rose Bowls, you know, the, you know, the history there is not super great, especially lately. Uh, no, Stanford and Cal should not be good at football. Shahan, do you agree with that? Two no's? Yeah, I, I think that Cal is a definite no. Um, and I go back to what I said about Colorado. They don't invest. Uh, they've had numerous coaches come through and be like, what the heck? I'm getting no support. I don't want to be here. Right. I mean, with Sonny Dykes, we saw him almost immediately be like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? And I think that uh, that Cal shoots itself in the foot more than it shouldn't be good, per se. Whereas I think it's the opposite with Stanford. I think that Stanford has a lot of disadvantages because, uh, you know, like Josh said, the amount of legwork you have to do to to really understand who you're offering and who you're recruiting. And, uh, you know, I, I I got to talk to Mike Bloomgren over at Rice about this, who's trying to replicate some of that, right, and came from the Stanford tree. And a big part of their evaluation is we have to talk to their coaches. We have to talk to their counselors. We have to know whether they can get into Stanford. Um, the one thing that I do think separates these two schools is that Stanford does invest. Uh, you know, you talked about the salary. They also spend a lot on recruiting. So I do think they are much closer to 
deserving per se to be good at football because they do put in the legwork, but that's a relatively new thing. That's a last 15 years type thing. Um, so I would say that Cal is a definite no and Stanford maybe right now is a maybe. All right. UCLA, Sean, yes or no? See what I put for Arizona, right? I mean, this is not a school that's ever uh, really prioritized football in a major way. I, I know that when Chip Kelly got there, the talk of the town was, oh my gosh, they don't have the facilities to be able to run a major football program. And it costs a lot for them to build it. It's coming along now, right? They, they are building some of those facilities, but they are in football specifically the, the little brother in town, right? I mean, USC is the football school. UCLA is the basketball school. And I think that it's definitely possible to be a good football and basketball school. But if you prioritize one, uh, it kind of does set the culture in some ways, I think. And I think that long term we've seen with UCLA, they've had good teams, but they're they're a team that I think should be striving to win eight games, not competing for championships like USC. You agree, Josh? Is UCLA a no? I do agree with that. That is a no. And, And the main thing I have to add to that is that's another administration at the presidential level that doesn't want to be spending money on athletics and the admission standards at UCLA just in general are insanely tough to get into UCLA and athletics is no different. I mean, I know that for years, you know, coaches have railed against the fact that UCLA will not admit junior college transfers because the academic standards are so high and that can hamstring you in recruiting. So, um, you know, despite all the history, with Pauly Pavilion and John Wooden, the baseball team is historically good. Water polo, basketball—it's another administration that just, so, for for whatever reason, doesn't want to be fielding major college athletics. Um, and yeah, UCLA is the little brother in town when it comes to football. No, UCLA should not be good at football. You know, sometimes you will see in recruiting that you'll sort of cross-sport recruit that you will bring recruits of one sport to a different athletic event to get the vibe of the school and that kind of thing. You'll see basketball players show up at a football game, for example. Josh, do you think that UCLA should work harder at bringing football recruits to water polo matches? I know I'd be excited because I've never seen a water polo match. So if they (laughs) want to recruit me, they should take me to a water polo match, no doubt. If you're looking for the Newmans of the world, you get them out to the pool. You're you're like, uh, I'm I'm an offensive tackle. Why am I at this thing? But this is good. All right. Well, good yeah. luck to it, Chip it, Kelly right. at the waterfall event. <laughs> and I will say, right, I mean, we talk all about them being a blue blood basketball school, being a team that has as many national championships as anybody. I mean, we are three years out from UCLA being like, oh, no, we can't pay the TCU coaches buyout to hire a basketball coach. No right. Doubt. Like, that's crazy stuff. That's insane. And thankfully, they accidentally lucked into a good coach and Mick Cronin. But. I mean, that's insane. Can you imagine Kentucky being like, oh, five million. Oh, I can't afford to hire my next coach. Just come on. That's pathetic. And like like uh, Josh said, a big part of it is just administrative. When you're a good school, it's, you know, I, I think that there's value in thinking about what your institutional goals are. Right. We, we talk about this sometimes in the context of oh, how irresponsible that this team isn't investing, right? It's a choice. And I think that it's a totally reasonable choice. And I don't think it's an accident that we see in the Pac-12 where sports and and especially football are slightly de-emphasized. Schools maybe not going as hard in that direction, but there are consequences when you look at the landscape of the conference. All right, so let's wind up then with the reigning Pac-12 champ, 
But yet, I'm not 100% sure about the answer to this question. Josh, is Utah supposed to be good at football? It's a loaded question because Utah spent decades in the whack. They were in the Mountain West, and now they are entering year 12 in the Pac-12. As a Power 5 football program, no, Utah should not be good at football this soon as a Pac-12 member. Okay. Um, their facilities are getting better. They've made improvements. They, you know, they dumped $80 million into Rice Cycle Stadium. They built a new football facility, um, offices and meeting rooms and the whole thing back in 2015. They're getting ready to put shovels in the ground on a new indoor football facility. Uh, that should be done in the fall of 2024. So they are catching up in the facilities arms race. But to have won the Pac 12 last year, uh, have, ha- having gotten to three Pac-12 championship games in the last four seasons, four Pac-12 championship games since 2015, to me, and I wrote this a bunch last year down the stretch, Utah, to me, as a Power 5 football program, was ahead of schedule. Um, you know, they had a couple of lean years early, right? They entered the Pac-12 in 2011. They go 5-7 and seven twice in 12 and 13. And then Kyle Whittingham kind of gets it rolling. And we saw what happened last year, you know, winning – nine of 10 down the stretch, getting to the Pac-12 championship game, getting to the Rose Bowl. All of these things were ahead of schedule in my mind. So as a power five football program, uh, no, Utah should not be this good at football yet. Shahan, what do you think about Utah? Well, Josh is forgetting one very important thing, and that's that the state of Utah was the best football state in the entire (laughs) country last year. Uh, The Utah Utes winning the Pac-12, Utah State winning the Mountain West, BYU finishing number 13 in the college football playoff rankings because, I I may add, uh, the the committee was like, well, we got to make sure that our top 12 are the New Year's Uh, 16, so let's put them at 13. But but, no, I mean, I I think that, uh, that Josh is absolutely right. I mean... All the things that we've talked about with Colorado, I think, uh, are very similar, right? This isn't a natural recruiting-based team. This isn't a natural, uh, you know, sort of fan-based team. And I think that the other complication, too, with being the University of Utah is that you are fighting with BYU, right, in your own state. And so I think that Utah has established its own identity. uh, And I think that both, honestly, both of these teams, I'm I'm curious to see long-term when BYU moves to the Big 12, that both of these teams have established kind of their own identities and built their own fan bases uh, in a pretty crowded market, not even counting, obviously, you you know, in in a city the size of Salt Lake City that you got the jazz there, right? I think that that says a lot about what Utah has been able to do. So no, I, I don't think that they're supposed to be good, but when you get the right guy who's there for a long time, who can take you from the ground all the way up, uh, I, I think that that helps. And so when this job does come open, I think that they should expect to be an eight or nine win team long term because of what they've created so far. And Shahan, if you ask any BYU fan here in Utah, they will tell you that they won the Pac-12 South because they went 5-0 and against the Pac-12 last year. Okay, that's what I, I I'm see no lies. <laughs> I, I see no lies whatsoever. They, <laughs> this, make- year, this year, uh, they actually, uh, at BYU will get what? They'll get Baylor. They'll get, uh, they get Utah again, right? So they no. get like a... No Utah. Okay. No Utah. They get Utah State, I think, this year. Yeah. They get like a bunch of the conference champions right. from the... Bat- so they're going to have a heck of a time uh, trying to argue <laughs> that they won four conferences oh, this year, yeah. and I can't wait. Oh, <laughs> did, they make, did they make t-shirts, Josh? 
Oh, they made like BYU. Duh. They made T-shirts. <laughs> Twelve made, South champs. They made banners like the BYU TV in-house TV station did a whole thing with the Pac-12 South champion banner in the background. We all had a good time goofing on that for a couple of days. I respect well, that. Uh, if, for for a <sighs> former for a former Texas college writer, right? Who now obviously does national. Um, you know. God bless Charlie Brewer. Uh, seems like a great kid. Uh, it, maybe it was a good idea for him not to be starting at quarterback for the Utah Utes. God, we can so, get into that here if you want. <laughs> in the end, do you guys know how many teams got yeses from both of you in the Pac-12? You're supposed to be good at football. USC, Oregon, and Arizona State. <laughs> and that's they're not. That's a pretty tenuous. But they one. should be. That sounds crazy when you say it out loud like that. That that's Three. what we came up with. Three. Now, just like I think like in a lot of ways, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten have similar views of things or whatever. I think like back of the envelope, Big Ten would be minimum seven. Yeah, I think if you did this exercise, because I think you do Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Iowa and Nebraska, because Nebraska invests. Maybe they don't have a recruiting game, but they still right. should be good. And I think like maybe Illinois would tell, you no, we're supposed to be good. I think you'd there's, I, there's I, only a handful. Dear of God, I hope not. But I mean, like, but like they should be better. Like they want to be good, right? I think, you know, you'd throw Northwestern and Rutgers and Maryland and maybe the basketball schools in Indiana. I think you're between seven and nine in the Big Ten out of 14 out of 12 in the Pac-12. Josh, three. That's why I'm going through the Pac-12 for this exercise. And I'm like, who am I supposed to pick for anybody for anything if I don't want to talk about Lincoln Riley for 45 minutes? I mean, look, I did in my prep work for this, I did I did my notes and some of these questions I'm like, oh no, man, I don't know what to say right now, but we're gonna get yeah. into it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why we played this game. I don't know, Shahan, if anybody, if Pac-12 fans who are listening are offended. Are they like begrudgingly like, no, yeah, three for 12. That's about right. Are they disagreeing with this? It just is what it is, man. Yeah, no, they they get it. I, I don't think that there's any secret to the Pac-12 that lack of investment has been the, the primary reason that the Pac-12 has fallen behind. And actually, I'd compare that in direct contrast to the Big 12 and the ACC, where you know, actually, specifically talking about the Big 12, like the quality of programs that the Pac-12 has versus the Big 12, I, I'd probably give the edge to the Pac-12, but the Big 12 invests in football in a completely different way, right? I mean, because there are so many Texas schools, especially. And so I think that, you know, you look at, uh, like, why should Texas Tech expect more than Colorado, right? I mean, it's because they care more, right? It's because they're putting more into it. That's really the only difference between these schools. Now, the results haven't been that different, but I think it does create a different tenor. And I think that that's been one of the biggest things that new PAC 12 commissioner, George Klyevkov has tried to address is you don't have to like it. You don't have to love football, but we have to be good at this. We have to be good at basketball because that is where the money is. That's what the future of the sport long-term depends on. And you don't have to win national titles. You don't have to spend all of the money that you have on making sure that your football team goes seven and five. But you do have to invest. You can't embarrass us because it, it really does come back to reflect on the future financially of the entire conference and, and all these nice water polo teams that you want to buy and all these nice rowing teams that Stanford wants to run out. Like all of this is kind of also dependent on what they now maybe Stanford's an exception because they have so much money independently. But but for the rest of the Pac-12, it is dependent on what happens financially on the football and basketball arenas. So, uh, so no, I don't think this is a secret to anybody. And I think that this is perhaps the biggest thing that they're trying to address so that when we have this conversation in a year or two, we don't have to think about it like this. 
All right, we'll take a quick break here in the College Football Survivor Show. Thanks for everybody for playing along. Is this team supposed to be good at football? When we come back, who is the playoff favorite in the Pac-12? Next, after this. Don't miss the College Football Survivor Show bonus episode this week. Available only on Apple Podcasts. Against Oklahoma in the semifinal. 29 of 39, 493 yards, 7 touchdowns. In the national championship game against this Clemson dynasty, 31 of 49, 463 yards, five touchdowns. Like, these were his two best games of the entire season. And he played them in the college football playoff to win a national championship. This pod last summer started with the premise of there have been four teams that have dominated the college football playoff. Joe Burrow's story in the national championship year, he beats Alabama, in the regular yeah. season. That's one of them. He beats Oklahoma in the semifinal. That's two. He beats Clemson in the national title game. That's three. And he transferred from Ohio State. That's four. So, <laughs> and, and by the way, you know who he beat also 37 to 10 in the SEC championship game? Georgia. And you know he also who he also beat during the regular season? Texas. Wait, again, it's a, I, I can't keep doing this, man. I can't keep doing this. You already know the joke. No, do it. Just go ahead and do it. Case, <laughs> why, we said, why are we talking about Texas as a playoff show? <laughs> I would like to try to get that in every show. If we had a producer, we'd make, it's not we'd hard. A producer. We'll make it a drop. <laughs> why are we talking about Texas as a playoff show? Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Doug Maurice, Shahan Jeharaja, our special guest, Josh Newman. Josh, tell the people how they can follow you, follow your coverage. Utah is a team people want to pay attention to this year. What can they do? I appreciate that, Doug. Uh, my Twitter handle, Joshua underscore Newman. Uh, I link to everything there. Uh, I work at the Salt Lake Tribune. That's sltrib.com and sltrib.com slash sports for all the Utah coverage this fall. All right. Playoff favorite. The team, the team that should be viewed that way, Josh, is it Utah? It is Utah. Um, coming off last season, Pac-12 championship, Rose Bowl appearance, you return Cam Rising at quarterback. You return Tavion Thomas in the backfield, 1,100 yards, 21 touchdowns in essentially 10 games last year. Uh, two all Pac-12 tight ends in Brant Keithy and Dalton Kincaid. Uh, 60% of your offensive line is back. Although, you know, it's late June, we're probably looking at some shuffling along the offensive line. Uh, key pieces of your defensive front are back. Um, in fairness, there are questions at linebacker with Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sulgan to the NFL. There are questions in the secondary, uh, you know, with last season, they were just devoid of depth for that Rose Bowl. So there are questions, but if you're if you're looking to pinpoint who is the most likely Pac-12 team to crack the college football playoff? It is still Utah. You know, they're going to open up ranked inside the top 10 or 12. They've got this massive opener against Florida on, on September 3rd at the Swamp. Um, probably the biggest opener in uh, in Utah football history. Uh, if Utah beats Florida, 
they are automatically going to be viewed as a viable college football playoff contender. Um, they can lose to Florida and in theory run the table and still get to the playoff. But if you beat Florida, your road to the playoff is much clearer. So yes, Utah is the, is the team that, you know, that we're looking at from the PAC 12. I will say there this it's hard to analyze the PAC 12 because I think USC is breaking prediction models. I was looking at Bill Connolly from ESPN and his SP plus ratings. You just, you can't take, you're trying to take into account past performance and returning guys and recruiting rankings. And then you have to factor in the transfer portal, but the influx and when that, when you have Jordan Addison and Caleb Williams, it is hard to get a handle on with any kind of predictive model on USC. Again, his thing, it's like he had, you know, like a team like Utah is predicted to win like nine games in his model and USC is predicted to win like six and a half. And it's like, it's hard to wrap your head around that, Shahan. So we have to throw a lot away with USC and you're betting on Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams and just enough talent where it matters. I know when we did this many moons ago and did early playoff stuff, you liked USC and that was pre-Jordan Addison. So Shahan, do you agree Utah is the most likely playoff team in the Pac-12 or do you think it's USC? I think that Utah deserves that distinction, uh, especially to start out. Heading into the year, I think it's absolutely Utah. They're the defending champs. They've done it before. They've played together before. Like this is this is basically like a rec team or like, you know, picking guys uh, from the sideline to go play some touch football. What USC is trying to do over here. The one thing that I think will really, really help USC out is the fact that they're getting rid of divisions and that you may get a rematch of this in the conference championship game. So I would favor Utah playing the game at home to probably win that game. But at least if you're USC, that doesn't have to kill you, right? You will get another shot at it. So I think that Utah is the favorite. Like I said, I mean, the game happens at home and USC still has to make that conference championship game. If they lose that game, there's going to be other opportunities for them to lose along the way. Uh, Not to mention that they play Notre Dame, you know, who's going to be another team that could absolutely beat them. But I think that uh, I think that Utah's the favorite, but USC's probably a co-favorite, I'd say. And the reason that you say that is just the pure amount of talent. I mean, when's the last time we've seen a Pac-12 team with this much just pure talent, right? I mean, Jordan Addison is a Blitnikoff winner. Caleb Williams is a former number two overall quarterback in America. Uh, you know, I don't think they're as bad as their record was last season, right? And this is something that we'll get into with another team uh, that I'll maybe mention in a second, but when you fire a coach and when you have a dysfunctional atmosphere, which is hard to not do, when you fire your coach two games into the season, I think it masks some of the talent that's on the roster, right? I don't think that this team is as bad as their record. I, I think, you know, you look at the the years of the Clay Helton era behind them. Um, you know, they had 10 win seasons. They won an average of about eight games a year. And that's probably about what the quality of this team is before Lincoln Riley comes in and and adds things up, right? So I'm looking at a team that's maybe eight, eight and a half win quality, then adding this wave of additions, then adding, I think, a much better coaching staff. So they absolutely, in my opinion, have the talent and the coaching and the potential to get to that, uh, that favorite point. But heading in, it's Utah. USC can absolutely win the Pac-12. No argument there between Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison and Lincoln Riley and the skill position guys and the transfer portal. But the thing I keep coming back to is you can hit the transfer portal as hard as you want, but you cannot turn over your offensive line and your defensive line in one offseason. Like that just doesn't happen. And right. those, those are negatives 
against USC. Again, very talented. If we want to have, if somebody wants to label Utah and USC 1A and 1B, no problem with that. But I just think that on paper, Utah's 22 is better than everybody else's 22. And the continuity with Kyle Whittingham and Andy Ludwig, the offensive coordinator, and Morgan Scally, um, 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 as, excuse me, as the D coordinator, it just keeps coming back to Utah for me. But it, sh- it should be very fascinating here, here with USC. Okay. Dark horse then. Playoff dark horse. Maybe we're not talking about them in the same way, but they really, you can see a path to it. Does it just have to be? What if Dan Lanning beats his old team in the opener? I mean, Oregon beating Georgia in the opener would completely shift the view of the overall playoff picture in a way. I think it could be Clemson, Georgia last year. You knew these are two talent base and coaching and all those things. These are two playoff quality teams. One's going to win, one's going to lose. So that Clemson-Georgia game was important, but you just knew the the winner coming out of there was in good shape. No, I don't think anybody thinks Oregon's going to beat Georgia. But the idea that it's Dan Lanning, he might have the secrets. So that's my pick because I feel like, Shahan, we would come on this show if Oregon beats Georgia the first week. And they don't have a 2% chance to win that game. I mean, I think they have a... 25% 25% chance or something to win that game. If Bo Nix looks great, I, I don't know. That would that would completely change, I think, a, a view from coast to coast of this season. I'm not saying it's a 2% chance, <laughs> but I think it's a lot closer to a 2% chance than a 20% chance. Okay. Because this Oregon team, they're talented, right? They've got players. They've had multiple top 10 caliber recruiting classes. I think that's going to continue. But like the speed at which you got to Bo Nix when talking about this, I, I just can't get there. I can't get there. I mean, Bo Nix has regressed basically every season he's been in college football. And he's going to be asked to do, I think, even more in some ways at Oregon than he was asked to do at Auburn. And it's a new staff. It's a first-time head coach. It's, it's a coaching staff that's not familiar with this roster. I I just, for an opener against the defending national champions who have every advantage and every player and recruited number one classes and all this sort of stuff, I think that that is, I mean, if you told me that this was USC playing against Georgia and they and, and USC got to steal all of Georgia's coaching staff and they all knew all the players, I still don't think they have any chance, right? Like, I think that Georgia is so much better than, uh, than Oregon. So I, I just can't see that happening. And and on top of that, I mean, I, I don't know. I just can't get there with Oregon. I, I think that last year was really their year to try to maximize, and they and they didn't. Is there a chance that Oregon will have the better quarterback in that game? As much as no. you are not a Bo no. Nix fan? No, okay. no, okay. no, no, not even close. Not even close. There's not even not close. A little Bo Nix with a new staff. He's played in a lot of big games. A little Bo Nix magic. No, a little Bo Nix magic. The, the no. greatest game that Bo Nix ever played did have Oregon on the field. He peaked in his first game as a college football player. And now we're like, well, maybe he'll go to Oregon and be Dan Landing's savior. Like, come on, that's crazy. Okay, so that's not your pick. Fine. Uh, who's, who's your dark horse? We'll get back. You said enough. You no, shut no, no, down no, no. my dark horse. I've got an insane pick. I've got an insane okay. pick. So let's go to Josh first. Josh, who's yeah. your dark horse? Yeah, my dark horse was also Oregon. Um, yes. If I, Bo Nix. Bo Nix, baby. I'll get there. I'll get there. Um, if I say that Utah's the favorite, 
USC is not a dark horse. Um, I think that UCLA has the pieces to be very good. Okay, they get Utah at the Rose Bowl. They get USC at the Rose Bowl, but they're not going to do enough to get into the playoff conversation. Uh, Oregon, no matter what you think of Bo Nix, Bo Nix is an upgrade over Anthony Brown. He may not I disagree. I disagree. Okay. I watched Anthony <laughs> Brown get blown up twice by Utah. Terrible decisions all over the place. Bo Nix's best is better than Anthony Brown, which is a low bar in fairness. Um, for the purposes of, of this exercise, I mean, if Oregon goes into Atlanta and beats Georgia, yeah, okay, maybe we start talking about some things. I don't think there's enough talent on this Oregon team to, to really get there for what we're talking about. Um, you know, at, as Shahan said, Dan Lanning, first-year head coach, but you are coaching a bunch of guys that Mario Cristobal recruited, so he is inheriting a, a talented roster, but just coming back to the opener, like you're asking Oregon to go into Atlanta. It's a pseudo Georgia home game coming off the national championship. I agree with Shahan. It's closer to a 2% chance than it is a 25% chance. But for the purposes of this exercise, if I have to pick a dark horse, sure, I'll go with Oregon. All right, Shahan, you have a, an insane pick. You said it'll make me feel better about you yelling at us about both. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, I, I will say Bo Nix beating Georgia is my West Coast version of Texas competing against Alabama. That's just going to make me lose my mind when everybody says it all offseason. I anyway. cannot wait. Week, by, by early October, the Heisman race will have narrowed to Bo Nix versus Quinn Ewers. <laughs> it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. I'm going to have to eat a lot of crow. But like we mentioned with USC, I think that when you fire a coaching staff and when things are really dysfunctional in a program, it can mask the talent that's actually there. And for that reason, I'm going to go with Washington as my complete dark horse pick. I, I think that you look at what they were the year before, right? They were in the Pac-12 championship game. They were a quality team. Uh, obviously, the Peterson era, they were a consistent 8-9 win team. And when I look at where Washington struggled most last year, right, it was offensively. And Kalen DeBoer has done a fantastic job with quarterbacks over the years. I think he's got some good ones to work with. Uh, obviously, they brought in Michael Penix from Indiana, who had some really good seasons under Kalen DeBoer when he was uh, at Indiana and then continued to develop after that. And, and really, I think, dealt with injuries last year. So I feel like there's opportunity there. Um, defensively, they've still got a lot of talent. Washington has been the place to develop, uh, you know, defensive back talents, especially in the Northwest. And so look, the path is for me offensively, they really take a step forward. They'll take a step back defensively, but if it's not a big one, I think that there's some opportunity and I actually think that there's, you know, with uh, with Utah, right? Utah, like you mentioned, is going across the country to play Florida. And it reminds me so much of that LSU game from last year against UCLA, where like LSU wasn't actually that good, but beating the brand name meant a lot, right? And so they jumped up to top 15 in the rankings, all that sort of stuff. Uh, this team will be better than that, uh, that I'm going to say. But Washington plays Michigan State, and it's not inconceivable to me that Michigan State just really kind of not folds. I mean, they've got good players, but that they are not what they were offensively without Kenneth Walker in the lineup. And Jarek Broussard, who came from Colorado, of course, is going to be starting for them. He's, he's a good player. But there's, I think, a chance that when Michigan State travels to Seattle to play against Washington, that Washington might be ready for them. And if they do that, the schedule isn't 
impossible after that for them, right? I mean, they they play Oregon on the road on November 12th, but they'll get, uh, you know, they'll get UCLA, they'll get Arizona State pretty early. I, I think that there's opportunities there. Now, again, this is a dark horse pick. This I don't think is an easy pick, but uh, but I see the pathway to that offense just really coming along under Kalen DeBoer because, I mean, they haven't really been the kind of team that they've needed to be offensively since Jonathan Smith left the program. Four head coaches in the Pac-12 this year with their first full season. Lincoln Riley at USC, Dan Lanning at Oregon, Kalen DeBoer at Washington, and then Jake Dickert, who took over midseason last year for Washington State, his first full year. Who is the best Heisman candidate in this conference, Josh? This was the toughest question to me, and you start going through the teams. Let me ask you guys this. Do we agree that the Heisman, at least partially, is synonymous with winning? We're not going to give a three-loss Pac-12 team a Heisman candidate are we it's you've got to pass the lamar jackson test yeah and yeah, then you've yeah. got to be like okay. i i've never seen somebody do that before kind right. of okay okay yeah. so if if we're doing that i would say it's caleb williams just because they're going to throw it all over the place and he's going to put up the numbers and they're going to win their fair share of games uh jordan addison is going to have you know a big impact on what caleb williams does you know the bolitnikoff award winner he's going to have a big season but if if neither of those guys passes the Lamar Jackson test, well, where do you go? I don't think it's Cam Rising because I don't think Utah, assuming that they get their offensive line straightened out, I don't think Rising is going to throw enough to be in real consideration for it. If Tavion Thomas has some gigantic season, I'm making this up, 1,500 yards, 18 touchdowns, Utah is 12-0, 11-1, eh, maybe, but... It's still the West Coast. I think it's I think it's going to be hard for any Pac-12 player outside of Caleb Williams or Jordan Addison to really get into the Heisman conversation. Um, Dorian Thompson-Robinson at UCLA, but they're not going to win enough games. Zach Charbonnet, they're very good running back at UCLA. I went up and down the conference, and I could not land on anybody who, who really had my attention who, who projects as like a legitimate like we're into late October, November Heisman candidate. I, I just don't see it. I couldn't find anybody other than Caleb Williams. Shahan, who'd you land on? Yeah, I mean, Caleb Williams was my pick, but I'll, I'll go to my dark horse now. And uh, if you love the Bailey Zappi experience at Western Kentucky, you're going to love Cam Ward, the new quarterback at Washington <laughs> State. So he's going to be one of those guys who throws for a million yards, right? Like he threw for, I believe it was 4,600 yards and 38 touchdowns or something like that in 12 games at, uh, at incarnate word last year under the, the new offensive coordinator at uh, Washington state, Eric Ward. So this is a guy who's familiar with the system. I'm oh, sorry, Eric Morris, not Eric Ward. Uh, this is a guy who's familiar with the system that he's coming into, right? It is that sort of deal. I remember coming out of, uh, when he was coming out of high school, uh, you know, Eric Morris talked to me about how he saw this guy who played primarily in this option based offense and was like, does nobody see this? Does nobody see the way that this guy can throw the ball and only offered him like right before signing day so that nobody else would know about him. And so he's, he's been this, this sort of enigma ever since, but after his year where he won the, the Jerry Rice award as the best freshman in, in college football at the FCS level, Ole Miss offered him, uh, Houston offered him, right? He had opportunities to go a lot of places and he followed his offensive coordinator and coach to Washington state He's going to, I think, throw for close to 5,000 yards. And 
for Washington State to be good enough to uh, to get him into the conversation, they have to, I think, win 10 games. And that's probably not going to happen. But I do think that Cameron Ward is going to be the story of the year in some ways outside of the, the whole Lincoln Riley and the whole, you know, Utah playoff case thing. So I will say one thing I wanted to add about Caleb Williams is that I do think Jordan Addison can help Caleb Williams because if Jordan Addison is saying things like, I love Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett's my guy. Kenny Pickett's awesome. But Caleb Williams is a different kind of guy, right? Kenny Pickett was a Heisman finalist last year. And and now we're going to have a direct contrast, that kind of thing, and get in voters' heads. I was going to, Josh, I was going to make Cam Rising my Heisman dark horse, almost like a like a Tim Tebow kind of case. Like Utah runs the table. Utah beats Florida. Utah beats USC twice. It gets a little weird elsewhere, and it's like, oh, my God, like Utah's number one, and it's on the back of Cam Rising, who maybe isn't the greatest passer, maybe, but he is the heart and soul of Utah. So you, but maybe, yeah, but you're the Utah guy. I'll let you decide that. So I'm going to maybe go with my dark horse. I'm going to go with a little bit of an unheralded guy, somebody off the radar, but that's what we're talking about with the dark horse, and I'm going to go with a guy by the name of Bo Nix. You're stealing my thunder, Doug. Oh, oh you it. mean it for real. I just say things on this podcast to make Shahan's head explode. Jeez, now you, Josh, you go make a real case. I mean, I don't know how strong of a case it is. In fairness, I was going to say Cam Ward, but then Shahan, you know, he laid all that out. <laughs> Bo Nix, I'm like, maybe to my detriment, I believe that his his best is still very good we have not seen his best in a long time his best was probably in his very first college game against Oregon I agree but if you know if if Dan Lanning can get that offense going and he can un- unlock Bo Nix Bo Nix's best is enough to put up some gaudy numbers and again dark horse if you don't want to go with Bo Nix I think that I think that Dorian Thompson Robinson is another guy who um Everybody has expected him to have a major impact and expected him to be good his whole career. And he has been good, but that, that kid has not reached his potential. Dorian Thompson Robinson has not reached his ceiling and look fifth and final year. If he's going to do it, it has to be now um, Bo Nix or Dorian Thompson Robinson. That's my dark horse. I like I like when I say things just to be a ding dong, and then Josh is like, "I have facts and information." I'm like, yes. "Yeah, yeah." I I'm just always so skeptical of the former big time recruit who has the big arm and all the traits and all this, who never actually played football very well, just putting it together, you know. And I don't think that this is going to be an especially easy offense, right? Like I I think, for example, if you put Bo Nix into like an air raid or like something, something that doesn't require a lot of decisions or, or actually, I mean, you know, this is a different comparison, right? If, if you Adrian Martinez him and put him into a Chris Kleiman situation where everything's very structured, everything's very read. I think that maybe that could work for him, but I just feel like he's going to freelance and that can either save you or it can kill you and it can kill you in a real hurry. And so for me, I I just don't know. I don't know whether they have the structure in place to keep him under control. I don't know whether they have the receiver talent to to make him really excel, right? They lost, uh, I think, two of their three top receivers to the NFL. It's tough. And I also think that Oregon's going to be under the weight of a lot of expectations uh, after losing Mario Cristobal. And and I think people will be freaking out a little bit based on what happened. Another name that you did mention, though, that I like uh, as a dark horse pick is Zach Charbonnet. Uh, 
I think that he was very, very good, uh, had some inconsistency issues, you know, especially when he dealt with some getting banged up a little bit. But he was the heart and soul of that UCLA offense in a lot of ways. And when they were really rolling at the beginning of the year, it was because Zach Charbonnet was was doing it at a really high level. And the one other name that I'd mention, uh, because obviously I have to get my get my Texas guys in there, is Jacob Cowing from Arizona. Obviously, Arizona is going to probably win like four games this year, but Jacob Cowing is a monster. He was at UTEP last year. He had like 1,400 yards receiving. Uh, even though he's like a 5'10 type of player, he's somebody who just gets open at a high level. He high points the ball really well. I think that when you look at Arizona and when you look at Jaden Delora coming down there, they have a chance, I think, to, from a play perspective, be a lot better, which... Thank goodness they went one and eleven last year, but I but I think that uh, that we could end up in a situation where Jacob Cowing is putting up seriously eighteen hundred, nineteen hundred type yards, and uh, and potentially you know this is probably more of an All America case than it is a uh, a Heisman case, but maybe he gets into that conversation just because I think that Jaden Delore is going to be looking at him a whole lot. All right, game of the year, game of the year in the Pac twelve for the playoff race. Josh, what is it? October 15th, uh, USC visits Utah. Um, I think if you look at the two schedules, there is legitimate potential for both of those teams to be six and oh, Utah. Again, as I've said, you know, they're going to start the year ranked in the top 10, top 12. Um, If they beat Florida uh, to open, if they're six and oh, you're veering towards the top five. Uh, Utah has won 19 of 20 at Rice Echo Stadium. Uh, the one loss was the uh, the weirdo 2020 COVID opener against USC when the Trojans had already played twice. Utah was opening. Their offensive line was decimated. That was never a game. So game of the year in the Pac-12 on paper, as we're recording this in June, it is, is Utah-USC just because of what could potentially be at stake, you know, with Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams and, and Kyle Winningham. He's the dean of Pac-12 coaches. So there's a... There's a lot going on there potentially uh, on October 15th. So, Josh, I wanted to ask you about this because we talked about this. We did it for one of our Apple uh, podcasts for the Apple subscribers. And listen, if you guys want to be this, uh, be a subscriber for $2.99 a month, you get all the bonus episodes. We do this episode each week, and then we do a bonus episode on Apple Podcasts. We did the 10 most important games for the college football playoff race. And obviously, Josh, we talked about this USC-Utah game. Before they did away with divisions and said, we're dumping that idea right now and we're going to change for this season. Nobody else said they were going to do that. For Utah to get USC at home in mid-October, maybe before USC got everything together, felt like the perfect opportunity for this Utah team. Now they are facing the possibility of beating them in mid-October and then having to beat them in a neutral site the first weekend in December when George Klyakov, as the commissioner of the Pac-12, decided, yeah, we're going to do that right now. We're going to play our two best teams in the championship game this year. Did everybody in Salt Lake go, oh, come on, this year? What's the? What do you think people are feeling at Utah that now it's on the table of you might have to beat these guys twice? I don't think that that's totally registered with everybody. I mean, yes, of course you realize that that you may have to play USC twice, but I, I think the real focus there, at least the people that I talk to and were you know, DMing me and these things were that there is a little more margin for error. Like you don't have to finish first in your division. You just have to finish second in your conference to get to the Pac-12 championship game. Now, look, if we're talking college football playoff, of course, there is no room 
for error, right? There is no margin for error. You probably have to run the table, but there is a like a very high level of confidence from this fan base that this is going to be something special this year. And I think there's a feeling that, yes, USC is coming here with Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison, but USC is not fully loaded for bear just yet. Like USC now is not what USC is going to be in two or three years. So I think there is a high level of confidence that Utah can beat USC on the 15th and Utah can beat USC or anybody in front of them in Vegas on December 2nd. All right, Shahan, is this also your game of the year? Does it have to be USC too? I got something else. I mean, how could it not be, right? Okay. I, I think that this could legitimately be a playoff deciding game, right? I mean, I think that it really could be. Now, this could have been one of like the five games of the year in college football, I think, if not for the conference championship thing changing, right? Because I do think that since it's not an elimination game, it makes it a really, really, really big game between, I think, two potential playoff contenders. But it's not a true elimination game anymore, uh, which is significant. But it's still clearly the game of the year in the Pac-12. It's among the, at worst, 10 best games of the year in college football. Probably still top five, to be quite honest. Uh, it's absolutely the game of the year. And it's such a contrast and styles, contrast and talent, contrast and uh, roster construction, contrast and coaches. It, it, it's just got everything. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very excited for this game. I am really curious the idea that you lean into this, you want to switch it as fast as possible. You want your two best teams at the conference championship game. Josh, I just am imagining like Utah going into the Pac-12 championship game undefeated, number two in the country, and USC having to loss to Utah, maybe that's it, and being like number seven. And then Utah loses to USC in a close game. And the Pac-12 has like number five and number six in the final playoff rankings. And it's like, congratulations on changing your championship game. It cost you a playoff spot. I don't want to turn this into a why divisions are actually a better idea than people realize they are. But it just would be crazy, Josh, if if the Pac-12, which has been shut out of the playoff, their problem this year is they have two playoff quality teams who split. And nobody gets in. But it, I don't disagree with what you just said, but George Klyabkov, when he came on board, it's about a year ago now, one of his initial big mandates was, we need to get our teams into the college football playoff mix, right? The playoff's been around since 2014. You've only had uh, two Pac-12 teams get to the playoff, none since Washington in 2016. The commissioner wants to get teams to the playoff okay, what is the easiest road to get a Pac-12 team to the playoff? You need to have your two best teams in your championship game. Like there have been years, and Utah was the beneficiary of this. Utah won the South Division in 2018 with a 6-3 and three record. A 6-3 and three record is not getting you to the college football playoff. So I was, you know, personally, I was in favor of scrapping, scrapping divisions now entirely. I thought that was a good move because if you want to get to the playoff, you cannot have a, a three-loss team. You can't even have a two-loss team playing playing for your championship. It's just not feasible. I thought that was a good job by the commissioner to do that immediately. Yeah, and I think that uh, alongside that, you say, what if you end up in this position where the team that lost pulls the upset and they finish five and six? It, just look at the history of the Pac-12. It's much more likely that Utah's number seven or whatever, and they're playing number 20 Oregon, and that's just not enough. Right. If you are playing number 11 USC in that championship game instead of whatever else, 
I, I think that it gives you a much better opportunity. And there are going to be years where it doesn't matter, where there's a great team from what would have been the South and the North. But I think that you have to maximize your matchups. Because, again, the idea that, oh, well, we ended up in a position where we got number five and six when you've been a conference that hasn't gotten a team into the playoffs since 2016. I'm sorry. You're not upset about that. You're just not. I'll be upset. I kind of want Utah to make the playoffs. But anyway, okay. So I do too. So win. Come on. We're ready. It'll be win a great twice. game. So beat win Lincoln twice. Riley twice. Oh, no problem. Uh, it's not Clay Helton anymore. When we come back, spoiler, team that'll be in the playoff mix in five years, and we'll officially make our playoff picks for the Pac-12 next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, Josh Newman, who is your spoiler? Who's the team that itself is not really going to be a playoff team, but they could screw up the playoff hopes of another team in this conference? We talked before the commercial about USC, Utah, October 15th, the game of the year in the Pac-12. Well, the week before that, Utah has to go to UCLA, play them at the Rose Bowl on October 8th. I think that's a pretty... I think that's a pretty tough road game, uh, a place a place that Utah has had success, right? They've played well against UCLA in Pasadena, but I think it's a good UCLA team. I'm bullish on the Bruins, probably more so than most people uh, covering the Pac-12. So um, I think that UCLA is, uh, is capable of beating Utah. And let's just say, hypothetically, in a vacuum that USC beats Utah and finds itself in the playoff mix. USC has to go across town and play UCLA at the Rose Bowl on, I believe, November 19th. So UCLA could ruin two seasons, in theory, by beating Utah uh, and USC, both games at the Rose Bowl this season. I'm going to go with a scenario where Oregon State is 1-2 and two and beats USC. Wouldn't that be a heck of a thing? Oregon State <laughs> opens with maybe the two best teams in the Mountain West, Boise State and Fresno State, like two good teams. Yep. Kind of a weird schedule. It's like, man, hey, who wants to play some games that you won't get that much credit for, but you definitely could lose? <laughs> it's like, hey, Jonathan Smith's like, uh, I didn't sign up for this, but my AD seven years ago did. Yep. So they have those two games. They have Montana State in week three. And then week four, it's USC going to Oregon State. And it's just one of those things where, again, if you're one and two, oh, great. They beat Montana State. Who cares? Not easy. And USC just like lets down. And Jonathan Smith is like waiting in the weeds because he's a good coach and he's smart. And that's my potential spoiler. Shahan, what you got? Don't count out those Bobcats, man. What you doing? Don't count out those Montana, out State Montana State Bobcats. State. Yeah, I apologize. Is that, that's the big takeaway from this podcast? That, 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 Doug guy, that Doug guy just absolutely is overlooking Montana State. What a joke. Oh, my gosh. All right, fine. 0-3. 0-3 oh right. Oregon State. No, no. 2-1, and one, the only loss to Montana State. Anyway, uh, I am going to go with Washington State. Uh, I mentioned with uh, that they've got Cam Ward coming in. They've got a great new offensive staff coming in. And I think that they're the type of team that could lure somebody into a shootout. 
The other thing that I'll mention with them too is that uh, you know Josh mentioned there's two opportunities for uh, for UCLA to maybe ruin playoff cases. There's three for Washington State because they also get Oregon. They get Oregon, USC, and uh, and Utah as well. So. I think that they have a lot of opportunities to shake up the conference. They play Washington, who, of course, like I mentioned, is obviously going to be a playoff team in their final game of the year. But I think that uh, that Washington State is just the kind of team that if you don't get up for them, if you're not prepared for them, if you kind of come into a game slow, they could punch you right in the face and and make things real interesting. Obviously, uh, look, it's going to be tough. I mean, these are really good teams that they're going up against, but I think that Washington State might just be a little unpredictable enough, especially with Cam Ward in the lineup, to, to cause some issues. Just to add to that, Shahan, Washington State, as you said, if you don't get up to play them, it it gets tough. Like Utah, after the USC game, they get a bye. They have to play at Washington State on a Thursday night. Yeah. Who knows what the weather's going to be in Pullman on you know in late October? Garbage. Kickoff, <laughs> garbage, probably. Eight o'clock kickoff. Who knows what the environment's going to be like? That's another spot for Utah. Like, that's a tough spot if you're Utah. Like Utah's October is Oregon State, who beat them last year, UCLA, USC, and Wazoo. Hmm. That's that's tough. That's a tough ask. All right. Which program? that is not really a playoff contender right now, will be a playoff contender five years from now. In this century, I went back and did a little math. In this century, Pac-12 championships. Now, listen, this is some of them were shared before there was a Pac-12 championship game. There have been 24 Pac-12 champions this century. 15 of them have been Oregon or USC, 15 of the 24. Stanford has three, but that's like, ah, Stanford's not that anymore. Washington has two, but that's like Chris Peterson, Washington. And then nobody else has more than one. So I pass on this because maybe nobody. Uh, or maybe it'll just be somebody who decides to spend money on football. I don't know. We just went, we just ran through the whole beginning of this podcast was there's only three programs in the whole conference that care. Maybe it's Boise State when Boise State joins the Pac-12 in the next five years. They care at least. Their field's blue. So I, I'm very confused, Shahan. Like I don't. I feel like I feel like it could be anybody, literally anybody, but more likely it's then nobody. So I pick nobody. Who do you pick? It's it sounds like you are dismissing the idea of the fishing happening and Arizona. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's the fishing. There <laughs> were so many stories before last season about Jed Fish. They won one game. And you know what? I might be pitching. Uh, I might be pitching more after their one game, mostly asking. So you guys sucked and like didn't even look like a college football team. Why are people committing to you guys? That makes no sense. What are you guys doing? What what illicit stuff are you doing under the table to get? You know what I think you should do is I think you should call all their recruits and ask them that question. <laughs> then I'll be like, yeah. oh, what did you get from Jed Fish to go to Arizona? Anyway, like, uh. Why did seven Arizona recruits decommit this week? It's like, oh, Shahan, call them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, may- maybe they don't have cable. Like, maybe they just didn't watch the games, don't have interest. Maybe they think that they're good. Maybe they thought they were basketball recruits. Who knows? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, again, I, I spent a wonderful weekend in Seattle, Washington. Uh, you know, and when I was standing there outside of Husky Stadium, right there uh, on, the, uh, on the Puget Sound, all that stuff, it, yeah. You know what? I felt it. I felt like in five years, this could be a college football playoff team again. But seriously, when I look at these teams, 
the big thing that I say about Washington is that they will invest. They do care. They do want to be good at football. And I think that they're going to give Kalen DeBoer a lot of chances to be able to do that. And you look at Kalen DeBoer's history. uh, He's not a name that probably many people know outside of the West Coast, other than his one short stint, of course, at Indiana. But he's won everywhere. He was a great NAIA coach. Uh, He went to Indiana and they immediately ascended into something that they hadn't been before. He wasn't there for their breakout season, but he was there for the rise in a lot of ways. Uh, Then Fresno State was was first offensive coordinator there under Tedford's first tenure, came back, uh, had obviously a fantastic season last year. He's somebody who I think understands maybe where Washington is poised, understands maybe how to take advantage of opportunities. Um, you know, I think that again, they've got great facilities. They've got a great place to sell that, you know, Washington's a great school. I think that there's absolutely a path, especially if we'll see what Oregon is long-term, right? I mean, Oregon, I think should still be in that borderline playoff conversation. USC is going to be around long-term, but I do think that there is a place for another program to really kind of look nationally and and make a strong pitch and have a very engaged alumni base. And again, I joked about it earlier, but I mean, Seattle's got a lot of new money coming in. So there's, I think, a lot of opportunities from an NIL and investment perspective. So I think Washington has a chance to do it. Uh, you know, obviously, They've, you know, they haven't been good for the past couple of years. And I think that that Jimmy Lake really at the end there, things were uh, were pretty bad there. But you have a new coach coming in who's known how to set a culture, who's known how to build a roster before. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of reasons to be excited. And really, this is actually just one big pitch for the Seattle Times to, to hire me to be the Washington beat writer, as assuming that they spend $400,000 a year on their beat writer. Would you still be on this podcast if you were that, though? Could you still be on it? <laughs> sure. Why? I, I'm at CBS now. I think that I, I think that if I was the UW beat writer, I'd be OK. <laughs> OK, I'm just checking. I just want to make sure. I mean, like, I don't okay. care. I, I, I won't take an offer less than $400,000 because, my God, the housing price is there. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I, I don't care where you work as long as you still do the podcast on the side. That's, <laughs> that's my only interest here. Uh, although Josh is lined up. We got Josh. If uh, The minute that Shahan's like, I'm out. I'm like, Newman, you're in. Josh. Who, now Josh is like, I'm not doing it. Josh is like, I'm only <laughs> on. Twice a year is enough for, for me. I can't hang out with you people oh. anymore than that. No, I mean, look, let me start with this. My wife is from Seattle, so I yeah. have dibs on the Seattle Times Washington oh, beat job, oh, if man. they ever call. Okay. So don't don't try me, okay? <laughs> it was um, my first time. It's beautiful there. I loved it. I love it there. Um, I was going to take Doug's road here and just pass on this entirely because I just – no, I, I just can't, like, put my finger on any one team. But, again, for the purposes of, of, of this exercise, I also landed on Washington – because I do think Kalen DeBoer is a very good head coach. Look, his his only full season at Fresno State, I mean, was very good. I mean, they had a good Oregon team on the ropes. Uh, they won at UCLA. They won at San Diego State. You know, finished nine and three, won a bowl game. Um, you know, he he's a good offensive mind. He's he he's he feels like he feels like a fit. I mean, when they made that hire at Washington, you know, with Kalen DeBoer it felt like a fit and it felt like a departure from what Jimmy Lake was. It felt like, you know, more stability, right? He said the right things walking in the door. Uh, He's recruited pretty well right out of the gate. Um, Again, has a history with quarterbacks. Um, He's got a pretty good quarterback room to start here. Uh, I agree with you, Shahan, that the defense will take a step back, but as long as this guy, you know, can continue to recruit, I don't see why this Washington team cannot, you know, climb out of this kind of doldrum that they've been in, uh, lately and, you know, and make a push. But again, going backwards here, it, it, 
five years, I I don't know that any team that's not USC is or or Oregon maybe is is going to make a push and get into the college football playoff mix. It's it's a conference that uh, at least in the college football playoff era, which is only you know seven eight. seven or eight years now, it, it's it's just not a strong conference in terms of the national profile, the national picture, getting teams to the college football playoff. You know, Washington struck gold a few years back, getting to the playoff and getting to the Rose Bowl behind that. But I think it's going to be very, very hard for a team that is not a contender now to be contending within five years. All right. So let's go on the record. Let's make our actual picks. Who will make the playoff from the Pac-12 this year, if anybody? And again, I just would like to reiterate, this conference is impossible to analyze. David Schatz at, at Stanford has been there. He's been there 11 seasons so far. Kyle Whittingham has been there 18 seasons. That's 29 seasons combined. The other 10 head coaches in the league combined have been at their, have 20 years of experience at their school. And Kyle Whittingham hadn't won a conference title in a, since 2008. So it's like Kyle Whittingham, he's awesome, but Utah never won the Pac-12. David Shaw, he makes a lot of money, but actually Stanford never should have been good. And he kind of was good on the fumes of Jim Harbaugh anyway, and now they've kind of fallen off. And then everybody else is new. Honestly, like if you if we had a draft of the best coaches in the Pac-12, Kyle Whittingham and Lincoln Riley would go really high. I think people would draft Justin Wilcox from Cal and Jonathan Smith from Oregon State super high. Uh, Justin Wilcox is 15 and 25 in Pac-12 play, and Jonathan Smith is 12 and 22. And it's like, oh, those guys at Cal and Oregon State, they're awesome. It's like, are they? They can't, they can't come close There's to context. 500. There's context. No, There's I context, know. I know. But it's just like, that's what this conference is. Like, we yeah. would do a reverse. The good teams have, like, it's nuts. This conference right. is, imp- it's impossible. I was going to even say crazy, but at least crazy is exciting. This is just, like, odd, right? I guess, like, when you make an <laughs> odd TV show, that would make sense. Because if the, if the thing of, you guys watch Netflix, right, on Netflix, yeah. and the show comes up, and it, like, when it has little advertisements, it has three words for the shows, right, underneath it, it's, like, yeah. suspenseful, sexy, Odd, right? <laughs> if one of your words for your show description on Netflix is odd, there's a 75% chance that it's set in the Pacific Northwest. So that just that's just what this conference is. I maybe they're not apologizing. I'm frustrated. Who's gonna make the playoff from the Pac-12 this year, Josh? Uh, you you sounded uh you sounded very old when you were like, you guys have watched Netflix, right? So like, yes, we watched Netflix, yes. Doug. Hey, you guys have done the Netflix and chill, right? I mean, you just right. So yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> you ever turn on the TV machine and, and dial up the old Netflix? Have you guys heard about this streaming? Oh, they God. send you a CD in the mail. You pop it in your whole. <laughs> can I get it on my machine? AOL? <laughs> I can still um, remember. I can remember my first job. We had internet at the office. And then one of my coworkers got internet at his house. And I was whoa. like, are you a millionaire? Are you a millionaire? <laughs> and then I, we were like, well, if he has it, we should get it. And then we got dial up at, at our apartment. All right, Josh, who is uh, the best? Who will be the playoff team for the Pac-12, if anybody? Um, there is not going to be a, a Pac-12 team going to the playoff. Um, and part of that is... As you alluded to, Doug, uh, the conference is just so wonky and so unpredictable. Um, look, I, I think back to last year with um, with Utah. Uh, Charlie Brewer doesn't work out. They go to Cam Rising. Um, they almost beat San Diego State, right? But then they uh, they beat Washington State. They beat USC. 
You know, they're starting to roll a little bit. They go up to Corvallis against uh, an Oregon State team that they should have beaten, and they lost, right? They had a block punt return for a touchdown. They had two drives die inside the five-yard line when they were going in, lost that game. That's one of those wonky Pac-12 outcomes that, you know, that can help to uh, torpedo a season. So while I do think that Utah is the best team in the Pac-12, historically, there is going to be some sort of hiccup. Uh, Couldn't tell you when, couldn't tell you against two, but again, I outlined their October. Oregon State at UCLA, uh, home for USC at Washington State on a Thursday night. That is a tough stretch for Utah, even if Utah is the best team in the Pac-12 conference. And just to back up from that, this whole thing starts with you have to walk into the swamp for Billy Napier's debut um, with questions at linebacker, with questions in your secondary. And if you're going to be a viable college football playoff contender, you probably have to beat Florida. Like Utah can get into the playoff with one loss, but it's it, it's a tough road for Utah if they don't beat Florida. Things are going to be very, very interesting uh, immediately for the Utes in Gainesville. Um, again, just working under the assumption that there's going to be a loss, there's going to be a hiccup somewhere. I don't think any Pac-12 team is going to the playoff in 2022. As someone who picked Iowa State to make the playoff last year, I am very much preparing myself for the idea of picking Utah to make the playoff and then Billy Napier winning like 28 in the opener. Sure. Be like, oh, no, that's wrong. That is definitely going to be wrong. That's on the table. I actually am going to say Utah. I've changed a little bit, but I'm operating under the assumption of Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, and then there's this fourth spot. And I'm not really in on that it'll be a second SEC team. So then it's like the the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are fighting for that spot. So could it be Baylor, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma? Yeah. Could it be Utah, USC? Yeah. I almost feel like it's kind of those two conferences are like one big conference, maybe fighting for one spot. And I just think Utah has a chance to get there. Now, the thing, Josh, that I'm not as knowledgeable about, well, I was going to say, the thing I'm not as knowledgeable about is anything on the show compared to anybody else on the show. But the idea that, you know, was Devin, is Devin Lloyd maybe the best defensive player in the history of Utah football? And then is Utah just good enough to just replace that? That does Utah, the way they were, like, do they just have enough depth of talent of like, hey, we lost some really good players, but they're fine. Or is it like, oh, no, they're going to be searching all year for defensive playmakers because in a place like Utah, you can't just find another Devin Lloyd. Utah's linebacker room may be more than any room on the defensive side. Utah's linebacker room is loaded. Okay, oh, with older, Then I feel with, great. Okay, with older guys who have not had their chance yet, younger guys, okay, Lander Barton, okay, 18-year-old kid, local, four-star recruit, is going to be a stud. The room is very talented, but the thing is, none of those guys have had to do it yet, okay, because Devin Lloyd played in, you know, 45 games, started 34 games. Nephi Sewell was entrenched as a starter for the last two seasons. So the room is very talented. The room is capable, but they just haven't had to do it yet. Like we're going to be in a position where September 3rd, you're, you're trotting out two guys who have, have not played a ton at, at that linebacker spot. And it might be Lander Barton, right? This 18 year old kid who has never played a snap of college football. That could be your starting middle linebacker in the biggest opener in school history. So you know, if you can survive Florida and you get that win, right, you go home, you play Southern Utah, you play San Diego State, you can, you know, you have a couple of weeks to get yourselves together, but you you don't just replace Devin Lloyd. He just did too much on the field. But to be clear, the room is very talented 
they have enough pieces where they think they'll figure it out. Talented, but inexperienced. That's what good teams do. So I'm in. I feel much better. Fair enough. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> Utah's in the playoffs. Shahan, what you got? Yeah, I mean, just bringing up, obviously, playing San Diego State, it really is something that that Pac-12 teams like kind of have to schedule these Mountain West teams because they will catch you. They, they are scary teams to go up against that early in the season. But uh, on another, so I do think the Pac-12 gets a team into the playoff. Uh, Doug mentioned it feels like we're maybe working with three teams. I actually think it might be two. I don't assume Clemson at all. Uh, they'll be a good team, but I think that they might be a 10-win team again, uh, a 10-2 team. And I don't think that that's enough with the quality of competition in the ACC. Maybe North Carolina State steps into that mix like we've talked about on, on previous podcasts, but I, I'm not assuming that. I'm not assuming that. So I think that it's three conferences fighting for two spots. And... I don't think the Big 12 has a team right now. Um, maybe Baylor stands up. Maybe uh, Oklahoma stands up. Who knows? Uh, you know, any of these teams could stand up. Really, there's there's nine teams in the Big 12 that have a chance to stand up. Uh, and then there's also Texas. And so, <laughs> sorry, I have to get in my Texas shot every single episode. But, uh, <laughs> but we're, we're running out of time. I was worried about it. Yeah, we had to make sure on, on the Pac-12 show. I think that the Pac-12 getting rid of divisions was a gift to Lincoln Riley. And I think that USC will lose the first game against Utah, go undefeated the rest of the way, will beat Utah in their penultimate game, and then, or will beat Notre Dame in their penultimate game, and then play Utah in the Pac 12 championship game and get into the playoff at 12 and 1. I, I think that having that second opportunity to avenge their loss is going to be huge for them. And and look, through the first half of the year, this is going to be just a bunch of guys, right? Like this is going to be a, a rec team. This is going to be showing up to the gym, trying to learn how routes work, trying to learn what guys want to do. It's going to be a mess, I think, at times at the beginning. But outside of Utah, I don't know that there's a team on their schedule that can truly take advantage of that. There are teams in the second half. So they have to be putting it together by the time they get to November. But I mean, from a talent perspective, USC is going to be insane, especially offensively next year. But, you know, 11 uh, defensive transfers as well. Eric Gentry is somebody who I'm really excited about at linebacker. They got uh, Damani Jackson in the defensive backfield, who I think is a, a freshman who's going to play right away. I think that they're going to be loaded on offense. I, I do think that I'm probably a little bit more optimistic uh, on the offensive line maybe than other people are. I, I don't think they were as bad as as maybe their record showed last year in that aspect. Defensive line is going to be a mess, and, and they're going to get run all over for a while. But, uh, but if they can kind of start to plug some of those holes by the end of the year, I think that USC definitely has the potential to be a playoff team by the end of the year. And if they just hang around, they have a chance to get a lot of juice those last two weeks because both Notre Dame and Utah might be like top eight teams when yeah. USC plays them and they have a chance if they, if it feels like it's a little squishy and you, you you know the committee's sort of searching for the third team the fourth team and it's like here comes USC with two good opponents to end the year that is that is a lot of potential there that's our Pac-12 preview next week we will be off we are taking a little break I'm going on a little vacation. We are done with the conference previews. When we come back in the first week in July, we'll be doing some other stuff. On our Apple podcast show, we ended our Mount Rushmore thing. We picked the four people for the overall Mount Rushmore of the college football playoff era. We've been doing all the position groups, all that kind of stuff. That was the Apple show this week. Go listen to that. You put your thumb on your phone, and then, it, I don't know, it charges you $2.99 and then plants a chip in your brain, however you pay for it. And then you get to listen to those bonus episodes. But we've done five conferences now. 
We started with the ACC, then we did the Big 10, then we did the Big 12, then we did the SEC. Now we're wrapping it up with the Pac-12. So thanks to everybody who's been along on this ride. And thanks to Josh Newman for joining us here to drop some Utah knowledge on us. Josh, we love having you on the show. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you guys having me. That will do it for Josh and for Shahan. I'm Doug, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.